We made USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at USAA.com slash bundle. Restrictions apply. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora. Always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 13, Episode 110. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Wednesday, Steelers Nation. And Dave, all of a sudden, a very busy Wednesday. How you doing? Yeah, I got uh, busy right out of the shoot there. And uh, <laughs> they added to the coaching staff. Uh, after all, and here we are, what, uh, April the 5th, right? And uh, we have some news to pass along there to get things going. We do bright and early Pittsburgh Steelers announcing on Wednesday morning, they made uh, an outside coaching hire, bringing in Glenn Thomas as a new assistant offensive coach. The exact duties were not spelled out by the team. Thomas, most recently, the offensive coordinator of uh, Arizona State. And he's been a longtime college OC at places like Temple and Baylor and UNLV, uh, basically a pass game quarterback background. So what that role is, I'm not quite sure. Pittsburgh has two quarterback coaches already in uh, Mike Sullivan and David Corley. So, you know, is Thomas's role kind of that pass game helper or something else? We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, look, he was uh, also at uh, what Temple in... 2015 and 16 was he there trying to recruit what was was he possibly there was that the same time that they possibly were were recruiting uh Kenny Pickett that's a good question I don't have the whole timeline uh in front of me I know obviously Temple was recruiting him correct uh yeah because Matt Rule was uh uh there right so uh, that, that sounds about the right timeline, right? Cause, uh, when was, when was, when did Kenny Pickett start at, uh, Pitt? He committed in 2016. So yeah, there's probably some, some sort of history there. All right. Uh, interesting. Uh, uh, and let's see, even he was, let's see, went on to, uh, Baylor after Temple, uh, was the co-offensive coordinator there and quarterbacks coach looks like uh, UNLV for a couple seasons, 2020 and 2021 as offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. And as you mentioned, Arizona State uh, offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach uh, uh, last season. You go all the way back to he has spent some time in the NFL uh, with the Falcons and, you know, kind of helped uh, with 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 uh, uh, Matty Ice. Right. Matt Ryan. Mm-hmm. Uh, during his time there. So, yeah, we'll have to see. Maybe this is some sort of passing coordinator addition here. Yeah, I'm not. If it's not that, because again, I'm still wondering about receiver coach. I've been kind of talking about that for a while to give Frisman Jackson some help, especially in training camp when you have, you know, 10, 11, 12 receivers in camp. And, you know, is Frisman Jackson alone going to coach that group? And, you know, someone going to help Danny Smith out on special teams. So, not 100% sure what that role is going to be for Thomas, but. Um, you know, adding that coaching staff that's already pretty small. So at least add a different uh, set of eyes. You know, I, I'm certainly in favor of that. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, 
no, 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 no problem so far, as far as I can tell. I haven't dug deep into them, obviously, this morning. Thing. Yeah. One other addition, and really, I guess we shouldn't call it an addition, but just kind of a, a formal announcement made public to, to you and I, but Gerald Alexander is now listed as the Steelers assistant defensive backs coach. And while that's news to us, evidently he was actually brought on board to Pittsburgh at some point last year in some sort of unofficial role, never announced by the team, never listed on the team page, on their website, their media guide, anything like that. But do want to note that now in official capacity, Gerald Alexander, former uh, NFL safety second round pick back in the mid 2000s, is officially uh, on staff as the assistant DB's coach. Yeah, uh, going back through some stuff on Twitter this morning, found a uh, a post from Cameron Wolf back, uh, I think, ahead of the the uh, the game last season uh, between the Dolphins and the Steelers. And uh, it shows uh, Gerald Alexander in, in, in Steelers gear. Uh, kind of you know messing around pregame and and saying hello to some of his former players Javon Holland, Brandon Jones, and Xavier Howard. Not sure how we missed that one, but uh, uh, certainly did. And the team just added, you know, like, like we said, the, the only reason that it that it's become news this morning is because they they added them to the uh, database, you know, on the team media site this morning there while we're looking for info on on Glenn Thomas there. So uh, interesting develop development there as you as you mentioned not a not a new one but kind of a new name to us just you know because it hasn't been out there right officially announced i guess is the way that we can can frame that and well i don't know if his role is changing at all compared to last year it's good to give grady brown that additional help but like receiver with the secondary it's so so, such a large group of guys you want maybe an additional coach to help out in practice pittsburgh in in recent years has often had two defensive back coaches, whether it was Terrell Austin and Tom Bradley or Terrell Austin and Grady Brown. And just to help kind of work things in practice, oftentimes when they had to, one guy would take the safeties, one guy would take the corners and work on individual drills tailored for those positions. If you have just one guy doing that, which is kind of what was happening last year with just Grady Brown, of course, there was Austin, but he was in a, in, in a different role as D.C., um, maybe a bit too much on one guy's shoulders just to manage their group again, especially in the summer with a huge roster. That's a lot on one guy's plate. So uh, smart there by the Steelers. All right, good explanation there. All right, got a lot of pre draft visit uh, news here to recap for you guys. And Ooh, they've on, been busy. <laughs> they they have been, and today they are bringing the beef. I think it's at least a thousand pounds of prospect coming to Pittsburgh and already in Pittsburgh in Baylor nose tackle Siaki Ika. Florida offensive guard Osiris Torrance and Oklahoma offensive tackle Anton Harrison. And so, again, the theme of the offseason, trenches, 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 O-line, D-line, and that continues with the visits today. Yeah, uh, and, and and go over some of the other visits that we've had the last couple of days here. Yeah, just give me one second to pull everything up so I'm not missing uh, – any names, but again, it's kind of that similar theme of uh, big guys up front. Uh, Chandler Zavala, who we just had talked about earlier, I think this week on the podcast, he's coming in for a visit. So you see Pat Meyer go to that NC State Pro Day. Uh, Zavala reportedly had a good workout. Now he's coming into Pittsburgh for a visit. Obviously, Pittsburgh impressed by what they saw at that Wolfpack workout. Um, other names here in recent days in terms of big guys up front, that might be the list for them uh in terms of other positions you have nc state safety tanner ingle coming in he's a versatile guy can play free safety can play nickel 
Um, one guy I was really happy to see kind of going to the skill positions, Jaden Reed, the receiver from Michigan State. I know that's t- uh, Tyler Wise's guy from the Senior Bowl. I've been a fan of Reed. I think he's a really good blend for that slot receiver who's not that small slot, not a huge guy, but versatile blocker, return value. So I'm really ecstatic personally to see Jaden Reed come in for a top 30. Yeah, and let's see. They uh, Keon, Keanu Benton, who we uh, think knew was coming in, uh, that happened on the third, right? Or fourth? Third, yes. Okay. And Tuli Tuyapopoloto, the edge rusher out of USC, was also on the third. Julius Prince, I think we had talked about him uh, coming in. on. He came in on the third. Deontay Banks, uh, the, obviously the uh, highly ranked cornerback out of Maryland, was yesterday. And as you mentioned, uh, Engel, along with Zavala on, on, on Tuesday there. So, uh yeah, they, they're, they're looking at, uh, obviously, I mean, really, uh, offensive line, uh, defensive line, wide receiver, cornerbacks, uh, and, and a couple of safeties here, along, yeah, with and, the, along with an edge. Right, and a quarterback. I should mention the quarterback, oh, yeah, quarterback. as well, Clayton Toon from Houston. I know that Ian Rappaport tweeted that uh, enlisted Pittsburgh among several teams. Toon getting a lot of pre-draft interest here late in this process, and, and he was listed among workouts and visits, but the Steelers never do pre-draft workouts. They do not do private workouts. I know that that was under Kevin Colbert. I very much believe that it's not changing under Omar Khan, and so I'm going to safely assume that's a visit for Clayton Toon. It was five years uh, with with Houston, threw 40 touchdowns last year, one of the top uh, producing quarterbacks in their history. And so we're talking about this team having two quarterbacks on the roster right now. How do they get to three and four? They always bring four to camp. You're looking at late round draft pick, undrafted free agent, potentially one of those paths. And then probably one of the, the not that they're officially in this, in this vein, but the feeder leagues, the XFL, uh, USFL, something like that is probably how they're going to round out that room. And we don't know exactly the specifics or, or what what maybe might become of this, but Bro, uh, Broderick Martin out of Western Kentucky seems to be, and we're not 100% sure, seems to be kind of confirming a, a kind of a loose report out there uh, claiming that he has a top 30 visit with uh, with the Steelers uh, upcoming. Now, that would make sense based on some of the beef that we've seen them bring in, <laughs> uh, right? Uh, what is he, six foot five, 336 pounds, something like that, uh, out of Western Kentucky. Now, I went back and listened to his, his real brief uh, pro day uh you know, his post pro day workout interview. And, uh, the Steelers were one of the teams that he rattled off and, in, in 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 mentioning having some sort of contact with him, but, uh, he did not, it was like, I don't know, two, two minute, 45 second, uh, media session. Uh, he didn't differentiate though, whether he was talking about having a pre-draft visit or not like that. So maybe that's one to maybe look at to, let's see, today's uh, Wednesday. I would imagine probably three more guys will be brought in on Thursday and they don't generally do pre-draft visits on Friday. The Steelers, do they? Or I don't know for sure, but it would make sense if they kind of took Friday off. Right. So we'll see if they bring, if, if, if Broderick Martin is part of maybe the three others, because they usually try to wrap up those pre-draft visits a couple of weeks ahead of, uh, ahead of the draft too. So might this be the last, I don't know, 
or is next week the next last week when it comes to that? I don't know. It's either this week or next week, I'm pretty sure, as far as pre-draft visits ending. But we've got a nice long list of them already, that's for sure. How many in total? 22 out of uh, out of 30, we think? Yeah, 22 of 30 reported or officially announced, plus Joey Porter Jr., who was local, uh, plus potentially Martin, as you mentioned. And yeah, the history says usually their, their last visit comes about seven to 10 days before the draft. So I would say next week is probably going to be more or less the final week, maybe the the week after very early, um, just depending on schedules, who's available. You know, if a guy has visits somewhere else, um, you're just never quite sure. Yeah, I watched some of Martin last night, put on a game in 2021 against App State. And um, he's big, he's powerful, uh, used on some stunts, good effort guy, had two sacks in that game, not a great athlete overall, but I think he's got some balance, stays on his feet against cut block. So got to watch more of him. Um, not a highly productive guy. He spent two years at, Western Kentucky was a North Alabama transfer. So uh, some intrigue there as a, as a very late round type plugger. Uh, I watched a little bit of Clayton tune yesterday afternoon in, in between some things. And I think the big thing that stuck out to me about him was uh, kind of the pocket presence and the escape and, and his ability is his escapability and ability kind of to make, make, make some throws on the move. So uh, uh, it's got probably inner, you know, medium arm strength overall you look back at his last two seasons and really high completion mm-hmm. uh uh percentages after not so great completion percentages i think his first couple of uh years there but uh that that stuck out because how many times have we talked since last year you know the the students talking about you know, completion percentage and, and accuracy and, and, and things of that nature. So I didn't take a deep, deep look uh, at him, just kind of a surface view, but uh, what, what stuck out was, was kind of the accuracy, the, the, the pocket presence and the ability to, to, to get outside, you know, avoid the rush uh, kind of thing and go from there. His, his delivery, especially on some deep balls that I watched, <laughs> I kind of a more over, kind of over the top, I think, kind of release on, on the little bit that I saw. And I, I got to admit, there was one throw in particular. It was a great throw to uh, 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 who was that uh, small receiver? Dell, Tank, uh, mm-hmm, Tank Dell so. uh, over there at Houston. The release over the top kind of reminded me of Mason Rudolph. <laughs> uh, now, once again, I just just a couple of throws that that uh, that I saw in there. But uh, uh, who else did I kind of peer in on? We've we've obviously known a little bit about a lot of these other guys. Oh, Anton Harrison, uh, versatile guy, uh, played uh, left and right tackle uh, at 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 Oklahoma. Uh, Kind of borderline. His arms are what thirty four in an eighth, right? Mm-hmm. Right around in there. Uh, but he is a little squattier, I think, at six foot four, right? Yeah, he's six oh four three. The the arm length, I think, is good. Now he's not the house that you know day one Jones is, but you're thirty. Like thirty three is the typical benchmark to me. Thirty four at six four is really good length for the position. I think the overall size profile has not been you know, as quite consistent with some of the really big guys Pittsburgh has taken a look at. Um, but I think he does have length. He's young. He's 21 years old. He does have experience, three-year starter, good athlete overall. Um, you know, I think he's got a little bit of nasty in terms of run blocker, just has to get more functionally strong and be a more consistent run blocker, keep his pad level down. But um, yeah, you do wonder, 
you know, does he quite fit what Pittsburgh's looking for? Obviously, they're interested in him to some degree, but I think the length is, is really good on him. Okay. Uh, what is it? And, and it's it's still, you know, we still got a handful of visitors are going to come in. Hopefully, some of those will be tackles. Uh, but, you know, and I, I guess it depends on what you view uh uh, Cody Mock as I think we both kind of view him as an interior guy at the next level, a versatile interior, interior guy who can obviously play tackle after he played tackle at, at North Dakota State. But Daywan Jones and Anton Harrison really the only two guys. Uh, now, they obviously think that uh, uh, Paris Johnson and, and Broderick Jones are probably going to be off the board uh, uh, by the time that, that, that it gets to them. Uh, will we see a couple more tackles brought in? And is this kind of shaping up to maybe a second or third round tackle instead of obviously a first round tackle? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not entirely sure. I think obviously, you know, I think they're going to take a tackle. I don't know, within those top three picks where that's going to be is, is harder for me to determine. Will a Darnell Wright come in, you know, being that they weren't at that pro day in terms of Tom Lincoln, but, you know, Pat Meyer was there or have they seen enough of him because he was at the senior bowl. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways that this thing, uh, could go Harrison was an underclassman, so less exposure to him. They were not in terms of Tomlin, Khan, or Meyer at that pro day. So um, you can see why Harrison's brought in. So there's always kind of an art to to how they structure their visits. It's not solely based off of interest. It's based off of how much have we seen of this guy and when do we get to see this guy or not get to see this guy and based on circumstances. Um, so there's kind of a bit of a, a game to it. But, you know, we'll see if any more tackles come in. Yeah, and I also wonder maybe a Brian uh, Brzee uh, will be brought in defensive lineman out of Clemson, obviously as well too. Now they do know a lot about him. You would think already. You know, Tomlin was at that pro day over a year ago, and there's a picture of him, you know, talking to Brzee, and uh, obviously they were at the the, uh, the Clemson pro day again this year. So a guy that they they uh, they probably know really really well at this point. Yeah, and they probably had a pro day dinner with him. I know that's not been made official, but they talked with what Miles Murphy, I think, and Trent Simpson. I got to think Brzee was part of that group. I wonder if this team will bring in any more day three guys because they've been kind of top heavy in the, the second round, third round, day two candidates. A couple of these guys have been more later round names here in Tune, in Ingle. Um, I think that's kind of basically the list of maybe Charlie Jones, but I wonder if they're going to round out this list by bringing in some more day three type candidates. You know, Mark Robinson was a pre-draft visitor last year that probably helped push uh, him to be that pick in the seventh round. So I wonder if that might be the way they go just to kind of round things out. And no inside linebackers in so far off the ball linebackers so far, right? Yeah. And that's probably going to tell you based on the history that they're not going to draft an off ball linebacker high, um, especially after you see them obviously revamp that room entirely with Cole Holcomb, with Landon Roberts, you got Robinson uh, sitting there. So maybe they draft one late, but um, you know, I think a Herbig that you mentioned, I think on that Monday live streams, a, a really good candidate for Pittsburgh and say round four, but uh, based off the history, based off the visits, I'm not expecting an off ball linebacker to go high. And then we also had Curry at the uh, Tulane pro day uh, as well too. Right. Right. For Dorian Williams. Right. And, but will will Williams go a bit too high for where Pittsburgh ultimately takes one? You know, you can't rule it out, obviously, with Curry being there. But I think all those things combined, Curry being at pro days for more mid round type guys and the visits. Now, I know that you know they were at Iowa for Jack Campbell. And I love Jack Campbell as much as anybody, but I just don't think that's the most likely or even the likely scenario right now. All right, so we'll keep monitoring this list for the rest of uh, the pre-draft uh, visit process. And the Steelers also finally got around to announcing a few uh, a few signings that we knew about, right? 
Yep, everything is signed, sealed, delivered. That's for Zach Gentry, DeMonte Casey, and also the outsiders in Keanu Neal and uh, but Braden Fajoko, I think, was the other one, too. Now, we just got the actual total money on Keanu Neal at two years, $4.25 million. And so that's a very cheap deal for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, don't know how it's exactly structured uh, just yet, especially with it being... Uh, kind of a four, you know, 4.2. I, I, I kind of wonder if they gave him maybe a million dollar signing bonus, uh, 1.25 uh, million dollar uh, base salary in 2023, and then a two million dollar base salary in 2024. Uh, it wouldn't be an equal split that way, it would give him two point. Two five million in 2023, and then another two million uh, in. I mean, there's there's six different ways you could divide this thing up, you know, uh, uh, to make it work. But uh, if it is a million dollar signing bonus and a base salary of 1.25 million, that would uh, put his cap number at uh, 1.75 million for 2023. Now, obviously. They, they could make it more of an even split if they wanted to. And that would, uh, I guess what I'm getting at is I, at this point, I, I wouldn't think that uh, his 2023 cap number would be greater than uh, 1.75 million. Okay. Gotcha. Good deal on that. And obviously that's less than what the Monte Casey got reportedly two years, 6 million. So what do you make of all that? Does that, does that mean anything to you, Dave, in terms of, you know, getting less than Casey? Uh, at most I expect him to get what Casey got. Uh, so I mean, is it just a deal is a deal? And that's the, but you know, is, that that's as far as they got in the bargaining process. Uh, I still think kind of our, uh, analysis on this is that, you know, Neil's going to be more of the box guy, whereas Casey will be more of the, the, the dime guy, but you know, maybe they have different in, uh, t- intentions there. Yeah, and we'll have to see how things play out post-draft, if they do add anybody to that room or not. So uh, speaking of contracts, you laid out a potential, what a TJ Watt restructure could look like. Do you want to just kind of walk us through those numbers and anything else relevant to that situation? Yeah, and that was just more so because we get questions, it seemed like every offseason, of you know how a restructure works. And uh, the actual details you know, really shouldn't be surprising, especially if it is a, a full restructure here. But, uh, you know, I just take basically I, I just go through and I, I try to explain uh, what exactly, you know, we I, I expect to happen here. And that would be taking all but one point oh eight million of his 20 million that he's doing a base salary in 2023 and turning that into a signing bonus and then prorating that 18.92 million out over the three years uh, of, of, of the deal. And in doing so, you know, just basically showing what his cap charge uh, cap charges will be in 2023, 2024, and how it should decrease if they did do a full uh, restructure, how it should decrease this 2023 cap charge by a little more than $12.6 million. It's not a matter, in my opinion, of if they're going to do this. It's just a matter, as I've said all offseason, of when and how, you know, if indeed it'll be a full restructure. I, if it's not a full restructure, then it's 
then it's just going to, it's going to be pretty damn close to it. And it's going to be because they want round even numbers, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in this thing, you know, I guess technically you can take his base salary down to 1.1 million instead of 1.08 million or for whatever reason, but just kind of the outlook with uh, cash spending and, and, and cap spending based on what we expect them to have to be able to afford going on closer to week one of the season it just it makes a lot of sense that you know there's going to be a restructure it's going to happen with tj watt and it's more than likely going to be a full restructure now the only thing that could obviously change that is any you know last kind of minute you know roster cuts and you know how many of these guys in the current rule of 51 with a significant salary might be jettisoned, you know, somebody like an Akella Witherspoon would probably still lead that list. Uh, it will be interesting. I mean, there, there's been no signs that the team is going to extend the contract of Mitchell Trubisky, right? But right. Uh, not, you know, as, as we outlined several weeks ago, you know, if they did do something like that, it could potentially lower his cap number down. So, uh, even if you did that, it still feels like some sort of restructure with what will happen. And from where I sit right now, it's going to be a full restructure, but I just wanted to kind of walk people through the process. Now, last year, the restructure of what happened right before the start, you know, in September, right before the start of the regular season. And it wasn't a full one, you know, they didn't have to do a full one on him last year. So might they be able to some of the other, matriculation that'll happen through this off season, get around. I mean, it's possible. Uh, but, but even so I would expect some sort of restructure with Watt at some point. And, and I, I, I tend to believe it'll might happen right before the start of the regular season again, which is what happened last year, right? right. September 7th was the restructure. So it's like the third or the seventh or something like that. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, there's no reason to be I, there was some commenter that thought that TJ Watt was trying to strong arm this team by not restructuring until, you know, Derek Watts resigned. Nothing like that is, is accurate. Correct. Oh, yeah. Look, and sometimes Joel Corey has told me in the past, you know, a lot of teams, including the Steelers, will sometimes put in uh, these bigger contracts like this, that they, they have the right to restructure at will. You know, so mm -hmm. uh, now do we know that that that's for sure the case with TJ? But look, he it's not going to be related to him trying to strong arm the team and re-signing Derek Watt or anything like that. Right. And so in terms of offseason contract things to look for, it's that. Is there anything else? I mean, obviously, there's the Alex Highsmith extension possibility. Is there anything else on your radar this summer? Uh, no, other than, you know, once again, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with Mitch Trubisky based on what Omar Khan had said, right. You know, uh, kind of want him to be around past this season and we'll see if they're able to get anything done, uh, uh, in, in, in regard to him. But other than that, you know, uh, the Highsmith thing seems to be, uh, that's another thing I think I've, I've, I've written about since we last talked on mm -hmm. the podcast, right. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, forgot to hit on that. Uh, and, you know, I had that post back in, when was it, uh, January, kind of projecting what what uh, Alex Highsmith's market value might be uh, this offseason. And as part of that, you know, statistical study and 
and, 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 and tape study, I came in somewhere between a new money average for him between 15 million and 17.25 million. And looking at it a little closer and looking at the highest paid edge rushers, you know, currently uh, on, on over the cap and trying to slot uh, based on my value, based on the slotting and based on where Cam- and I know Cameron Hayward's not uh, not an edge rusher, but the Steelers seem to have this kind of hard, weird hierarchy. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, now look, uh, uh, T.J. Watt obviously exceeded the the, the Hayward number, uh, as did uh, Minka Fitzpatrick. But both those guys are are, are are tops in their positions in the NFL, correct? Yeah, those ones were going to happen no matter what the hierarchy said. They're top players and they got paid as such. Right. Whereas Alex Highsmith is obviously not, you know, uh, the top top five edge rusher in the league. Uh, I, I kind of have a feeling that his number will come in slightly under uh, uh, Cameron Hayward's average yearly value. Wink, wink. If you get mm-hmm. where I'm going on that, so that kind of played into me settling on an, a new money average for Highsmith at 15.5035 million. And that would slot him as things stand right now as the 13th highest paid edge rusher uh, in the NFL. And I also project that, that, that such a uh, contract extension would more than likely be two years. I mean, look, if you can, if you can get him for, if you can get the extension four years on him at a 15.5, five million dollar new money average do it you know but i i just have a feeling that we're looking at a possible two-year extension uh for high smith to give him potentially another bite of the apple uh ahead of his 30th birthday there uh that that would make sense and uh i have him based on and look, I don't do these things willy nilly. I have I have the past history to go by as far as cash flow on two year on on two year extensions. With the most recent one being Deontay Johnson uh, last summer. I have a idea on percentages as far as what the signing bonus will be, uh, as uh, in addition to uh, the layout. In, into the first full new year of the contract, which would be this year with, with uh, if you did it with Highsmith, it would be 2024 would be the first new year. So it's, you know, there's a lot of factors historically that you can look back at and, and lay these things out. If you, if you sure. get what I'm saying here, and I have him as a, I think a uh, $15 million signing bonus as part of such a deal. Uh, I have a cash flow through 2023 at 16.25 million uh, uh, through 2024, uh, 25.25 million, and through 2025, a 33.75 uh, million take. Now, when you when you take out the fact that uh, Highsmith is already due 2.743 million in 2023, that's considered old money. So if this deal came out exactly uh, the way I have it laid out and fear not, it won't. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think I might be close here when you subtract, uh, that, that 2.734 or 2.743 million of old money, uh, from the 33.75 total that I have 
uh, of a new deal, you get a new money total of 31.007 million. And when you divide that by the two new years, that's how you come out with a new money average of 15.5035 million. Now, my example has Hyde Smith's new salary cap charge for 2023 at being a tick over 6.458 million. And that would uh, 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 equate to an increase of, where is it here? A little more than 3.5 million increase in his salary cap charge from what it is listed now. And that's obviously well within the range to make it work, mm-hmm. you know, uh, here. So that's, that's where I'm at on him. And if they do get an extent, and here's something else to remember about the cash flow. We just talked about 25.25 million through 2024. Some people in a comment say, Oh, there's no way he'll, he'll, you know, uh, high Smith would, would take that deal. You got the threat of the franchise tag there. You know, and how many times over the years have we talked about using the franchise tag as a weapon? You yeah, know, it happened with Bud Dupree. Right. So, uh, and I think right now the estimated uh, uh, franchise tag for uh, linebackers next year, if I can find my notes here, is something like uh, uh, right now is projected to be 20.062 million. So if you take, let, let's say he doesn't take take a deal this offseason. All right, he's scheduled to make the two-point, uh, whatever I said, six, what is it? Let me go back up here. Uh, 2.743 million in 2023. That's what he's on the books to earn uh, in, in cash this year. And if you take the uh, the supposed $20.062 million franchise tag amount for 2024 as it's currently you know, slated to be. And we won't know what that number is until, you know, ahead of the new league year next year. Well, you get, a, you know, what, a hair over 20, you know, almost 23 million. Uh, in fact, those two numbers come out to 22.085 million. And that's only if he stays healthy. In, 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 in 2023 and obviously has a productive season to kind of force the tag there. He has a ceiling on him via the tag of 22.085 million. And there's a lot of ifs obviously involved in that. Whereas if he took the deal that I have laid out for him, he would stand to earn 16.25 million now in 2023 and a total of 25.25 million through through next year. Now, the only thing guaranteed in this deal would be the first year money. Well, that's what I was going to ask about is how would how did you uh reckon with the whole should the second year be guaranteed the way it was for Watt? I mean, obviously Heisman's not Watt, but he's not, you know, a backup either. I I don't I don't think they would I don't think they would break the rule with the first year guaranteed money. I think it would just be the 16.25. Now, I deal I did build into this thing uh, roster bonuses for March of 2024 and 2025 as part of the total deal. So that would stand to earn him another $2.5 million, uh, $2.5 million by next March, which would then take his total up to 19 million. What well, I think that'd be what, uh, 19, almost $19 million, $18.75 million by next March that he would stand okay. to earn. Uh, now 
there would there would obviously probably be some injury skill guarantee uh, of some of that 2024 money. And in fact, it'll probably be if, if, if the deal got done exactly the way I have it laid out and rest assured it won't. But if it if it did, it would probably be initially reported at. I don't know, uh, 18.75 guarantee. Even even though only sixteen point two five million of that would be fully guaranteed, I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't envision them breaking the. I, I could be wrong, obviously, but I, I wouldn't envision them breaking the uh, first year guarantee, uh, full or the fully guaranteed amount of the first year and going past that as part of part of a, such a deal. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily either, but you wonder if it's one of those sticking points in a deal with, and this one's got a lot of layers to it because it's not so obvious, you know, top of the class, the way that Minka was, the way that TJ Watt was, where you kind of have your your baseline floor number and you're just kind of working on the rest of the details from there. And so I just wonder how that approach will go. Would would Highsmith's camp take a hard stance on really trying to to get that second year deal, uh, you know, fully guaranteed? Probably not, but but who knows? That's just kind of the one thing I wonder in, in thinking about this deal. And once again, the Steelers say, "Okay, uh, well, you uh, have a nice run at the tag." Sure, yeah, that's that's their ultimate, uh, you know, comeback there. So I think it's a good outlook. It's a good good framework overall. Um, and I, I just be curious to know when this could happen too. I mean, you know, could a deal come sooner, the way that Minka's deal happened last June, or will this thing be a, a midnight? type of deal yeah that's the uh and and how you know would he treat it as a soft you know one of those soft uh hold-ins or whatnot and 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 those kind of you couldn't blame him if he did right sure Uh, that's become commonplace you know he just watched tj watt do it and 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 get paid so it's hard to be mad at the guy for it and then you have the steeders probably wanting to do more than likely uh just in theory, because the whole injury and training camp and all, they probably say, can we get this done maybe uh, later in the summer? But uh, if we learned anything about last offseason, right, it was Omar wanted those out of the way, except for yeah. obviously Deontay, which they ended up getting done uh, fairly, pretty, fairly, pretty early, fairly early. Right. Yeah. I think they wanted Deontay to go through camp and not miss entire the entire summer the way that TJ Watt did two years ago. And so Deontay got done mid camp and. I think for Heisman, that might be the target as well. I'd like to see it done early. Sure. I mean, for, for a fan why, perspective, why, wait, he's why the not? Only, yeah. He's the only guy that you have on the docket, right? Yeah, and obviously coming off a great season. So I think this deal could be trickier, though, just trying to align all the numbers and the slotting. I think there's a lot of layers to, to try to agree upon here. All right. Talk to me about the new money average that I have. The 15, a little hair over 15.5, which would make him as things currently uh, sit uh, slotted 13th highest paid. That seems reasonable. I mean, I hadn't spent a lot of time digesting and I don't know what other guy, are there any um, potential edge rushers who might get paid this summer? Anyone else that's up for a deal and extension? Is it, is, is a Bosa due or no? I don't know. I mean, I imagine that's going to be in a different like category of, right. of deal anyway. So that probably wouldn't impact Ty Smith, but is there any like, I guess tier two, top 10, top 15 guy. I don't know. I have not looked at all, but uh, those are things I look at because obviously everyone's trying to compete and get more than right. what the last guy got. Right. I don't know. Pat. I think, uh, I, I think, I think 49ers and Bosa, right? 
but that's going to be a top, a top uh, near yeah. top of the market value. I want uh, money on him. Right. You know, so. I, I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, okay. Who, but in terms of the actual slotting, yeah, 13th. I mean, I think that's reasonable. I didn't have a particular number in mind. Maybe I was thinking a bit higher. I don't know, 17 million, but I really hadn't spent much time thinking about what that number um, you know, could be, should be, would be right now, because I know that deal's not going to happen for at least three months and probably longer than that. But I would say right outside top 10. I, now, I'm sure Highsmith, what, what is 10? Because everyone's trying to try, trying to get that top 10 money, getting that actual single digit or 10th spot. What is the 10th highest paid number currently? 17 million, Shaquille Barrett. Okay. I bet uh, you Highsmith him, is going to want it. Him and, him and Chandler Jones. Okay. I bet you the Highsmith camp's going to try to angle for just over 17. And then, you know, Pittsburgh might come in at 15 and Kenya meet in the middle the way that you outlined might be just the, the dance they dance. And once again, as part of that study that I did back in January, I came in between 15 and 17.25 million. Okay. So you're still confident a deal will get done despite all the details and all the things to, yes, to hammer out? I'll be surprised if a deal doesn't get done. And really the only question I have at this point is we're within that 15 to 17.25 million new, new money, you know, average, will it be, and will it be a two year extension, a three year extension or a four year extension? Okay. Yeah. Um, all good questions. And I think you laid that out, you know, exceptionally well as always. So now we'll just kind of sit back and wait. Is this, this kind of the last high Smith projection you'll have until something gets done, or is there maybe something else you'll think about? Nah, and nah, I mean, there's, I mean, this is, uh, it is one of those, uh, round to it, you know, okay. uh, get around to it. And, <laughs> uh, uh, I finally got around to it and I posted it the other day, uh, because of it had been several weeks since I laid out what I thought his new, 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 new money average might be this off season. And I just had to sit down and compare some contracts and fill in the spreadsheet and all. And I, I did do that. So this, this is unless, unless something drastically changed, which I don't know what that would be. This will be my, probably my one and only stab at it. All right. Good deal. I think it's a good a, a good take and a, and a good thought, and we'll see how it compares. And hopefully a deal gets done so that we can compare it. That's just kind of the uh, the ultimate goal. All right. All right. Uh, what else do we have here? I had a post to go up uh, this morning on Steelers Depot, and I think I might have done something similar in the past, but always good to revisit. And I know it's you know the, the caveat of the partial new regime in Omar Khan, Andy Weidel, but just to look because the pre-draft visitor list is filling up so quickly. I've gotten some questions about pre-draft visits and, and draft history. So just looked over the last five years, or at least the five applicable uh, years, 2016 through 2019 and 2022 at the pre-draft visit list. There really weren't any in 2020 or 2021 due to the pandemic. It was all virtual or, or anything or nothing at all, I should say. Um, and so uh, since 2016, it's been 122 known pre-draft visitors for the Steelers, and the Steelers have drafted 11 of those 122 names. That's 9%. That does sound low, but just given the the math of it all, you're never going to be able to you know draft the all all the guys you bring in for visits. I think it's a pretty you know important number. And in four of those five years, Pittsburgh has drafted at least two of their pre-draft visitors. 2018 being the only exception. So all of that to say is, if you're going to put together a Steelers mock draft and you're trying to get it as close to accurate and right and maybe quote unquote successful as possible. I would probably put at least two of those pre-draft visit names on that list. And generally, it's going to be third round and beyond. Typically, 
first round Tomlin, you know, Colbert slash GM. Uh, that's the, the direction you want to go. Second round, kind of more positional coach. And then third round beyond is going to be, uh, you know, pre-draft visits, especially into day three. So that's kind of the way that you should build your mock draft. And then to add on to that, uh, especially from, let's say, round three uh, or at least round four and on, uh, it would be a good idea if the people that you have in your mock draft, if they're not a pre or well, even if they are a pre-draft visitor, is were they at the were they senior bowl? Were they one of the three major all-star games? Were they senior bowl, shrine bowl, or NFL PA bowl? Yeah. I do you know the exact number? You've done a, a study on that in the past. Oh, yeah. I, think, I mean, right? there, there's uh I mean on, on average, I think it's something like five to six, a you know, at least five a class. Uh that that if they weren't underclassmen, obviously they were at one of those three all-star games. I just wonder how many guys have they drafted who weren't at any of those? Because most players, most seniors are at some one of those games just because the number is so large, a couple hundred players that are eligible for the senior bowl, the shrine bowl, NFLPA bowl. But I just wonder, I'm sure there's a couple, I mean, either because somebody got hurt, somebody was just completely under the radar and overlooked. Um I wonder how many non, you know, all-star game guys they've drafted on anywhere uh, in the draft, excluding, of course, underclassmen. Uh, was Presley Harvin? He was at one of those, wasn't he? He, he wasn't I he couldn't at, tell uh, you for NFL sure. NFL Probably. PA. Uh, there's, there's not, there's not many of them if, uh, if they weren't underclassmen. Okay. Or, yeah, or, I, I believe or, it. I believe it. So that's, that's certainly also. Good to keep in mind. Um, another question I had was, and I, I'm just kind of spitballing, will the, will the Steelers under Omar Khan draft more small school guys? You saw Cody Mock come in from North Dakota State. You just kind of wonder, you know, Andy Weidel was a small school guy. He went to Villanova. You know, you just kind of wonder if this team's going to be more willing to dip their toe into that water. Kevin Colbert pretty much against the idea. It happened, but not often. I think seven draft picks in uh, his entire tenure of FCS players and below. So you wonder if that thought will change under that partial new regime. Uh, what do you consider Sutton Smith out of nor- Northern Illinois? Well, I mean, he's non-Power 5, but basically when I say small school for the purpose of the study was FCS and below, non-Division 1, non-FBS. Yeah, uh, I, I guess the most notable uh, of recent times would have been Javon Hargrave, right? Yeah, I can try to pull up the entire list of uh, the FCS guys. Uh during the Colbert tenure. And and again, I know the con is there, but you still have two of the three decision makers still being the same in Mike Tomlin and uh, Art Rooney the second. But the list of small schoolers under Kevin Colbert, 04 with Ricardo Coakley from Tusculum, 06 Willie Cologne Hofstra, 2011 Cortez Allen the Citadel, 2013 Nick Williams Sanford, 2014 Robert Blanchflyer from UMass, 2016 Javon Hargrave, South Carolina State, and 2022 with Chris Oladokun from South Dakota State. And so those are uh, all but one. All but Coakley were day three picks. And three of those, Williams, Blanche Flower, and Oladokun were seventh round picks. So when okay. they happen, it was rare. And it always happened, almost always happened on day three and usually very late in the draft. Will that change it to con? Maybe. We'll just have to, to wait and see. Okay. All right. Anything else here to talk about, Dave? Uh, have you watched any prospects lately? Anyone kind of you're doing homework on? We got some time here to maybe discuss uh, any any prospects you've been watching. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like I talked about uh, with watched a little bit of uh, Tune. Let me see who else. Uh, where's the tracker at here? You said, uh, did you watch any of Martin or you just kind of got the bio on? on um, I, I just I just watched just like 
three plays of him. Okay. Uh, I did watch a little bit more of, uh, of, of Harrison and uh, seems to be uh, a little bit better pass protector, maybe than what, what I thought originally with him. Uh, the good news with him, I don't think he had many penalties, at least not, not last season. Uh, who else did I watch? I haven't watched any Zavalia yet. Have you watched any of Zavalia? Not yet. No. Uh, I'm trying to see if anybody else on this list that I have watched recently. No. Uh, and I haven't got to Tanner Ingle yet, but I view him. He's probably going to be more of a seventh or seventh round or undrafted guy, right? Out of NC state. Yeah, that kind of feels late, late day three priority free agents probably going to be the story on on Tanner Ingle. Uh, no, I think uh, at least where it comes to pre-draft visitors go, I'm all pretty much caught up for the most part. Okay. For so, the names that I mentioned. Yeah, some of the profiles I've had, Antoine Green from UNC, the receiver. I compared him to actually former Steeler, Dion Kane, just the vertical guy that's pretty unrefined and Green didn't have great production um, in terms of consistency and, and volume. I had some medical concerns as well. Uh, I mentioned Roshan Johnson, a big fan of him. I actually compared Roshan Johnson to James Conner. I think I see a lot of similarities in their game in terms of that uh, kind of defensive mentality. I remember Conner played defensive end very briefly at Pitt and uh, Johnson was a, a great special teams guy, at Texas. Um, you know, they're not super long speed guys, but they got power and they can pass protect, they can catch. And so I just like the overall skill sets and size. Uh, some guys that I'm not as high on, uh, Andre Yosevos from Princeton, got the profile on him going up in a couple of days. Um, he's going to be, he's going to get a lot of comparisons to Christian Watson because they're the height, weight, speed, small school guys. And I get that to, to a degree, but I just don't know if Yosevos, despite the really good workout on tape, was quite as freaky as those numbers suggest. And then I also wanted to get to uh, a guy that also had freaky workout numbers that really kind of got some headlines was Michigan state linebacker, Ben Van Sumeren, hmm. who's a former running back at Michigan transferred, played linebacker, Michigan state. I mean, he had, what, what are his numbers? I mean, they are just off the charts. Good. I don't know if you've heard about that whenever they had that Spartans workout, but six, two, two thirty one ran a four, four, five at a 10, 11 broad 42 and a half inch vertical 29 bench press, like really freaky stuff. And you wonder, why is this guy not getting talked about? You turn on the tape, this guy's super raw. I mean, his processing is terrible. I mean, he's just really new to the position and um, struggling and does not play to that time speed. So good athlete, but not much of a linebacker. There's a, a lot of room to grow with him. So he's an undrafted type of guy. All right. What, 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 what led you to him? The workout numbers. I mean, he runs four, four, five, 42 and a half inch vertical for a linebacker. I know that during the pro day, you know, cycle when we're doing our scouting and, and looking for, for Steeler scouts, um, I know he had gotten some buzz. But I said, OK, let's turn on the tape here. Let's kind of look at some later round guys and see what there is with him. There is some some talent and some traits, but he is just so far away from contributing. All right. Look forward to reading that one. All right, Dan, that's going to probably wrap up all the news here. Let's get to a couple of reader emails and close out today's show. All right, let's start with uh, David Ricards here. Dave and Alex, as always, thank you for your work and the entire Depot team. Best coverage out there, and it's not close. Thank you, David. He says, my question, what do you see in Dotson's tape that took us from the optimism after his rookie year to the state of affairs even prior to the signing of the two guards uh, this offseason? I have to wonder if he could, ju- if he just couldn't adjust to Matt. Pat Myers techniques, or if he's just been quietly injured, uh, the turnover at offensive line coach probably didn't help 
either. He says, my prediction, as much as I'd love to see them grab a top tackle, he says, I don't think Tomlin Rooney, and Rooney value the position historically, and thus we'll watch them take a tackle between rounds two and four, not at 32. I could see a kid with positional flexibility who plays the run better than pass protection. He, they said they tried chooks out at left tackle at camp and let the rookie take reps at right tackle. Second bit may be a long shot, he says, but I think chooks is a better fit on the left in the trans if the transition is a feasible one wasn't the plan before uh zach banner went down a, a few years ago uh thanks again you guys are the best uh what would you say is the main thing with dots and this kind of seemingly caused him to fall out of favor outside of the penalties <laughs> yeah well that's certainly one of them i mean i had that video mid-season that he was the most frustrating player on this team not the worst player because the frustration, if like he was just bad and you wouldn't be frustrated, you would just say, oh, he's not, he's not a good player. You're not expecting him to, to play well. Um, you see some flashes. You see some really good moments on tape. He got better the back half of the year. Run blocking has always kind of been his calling card. But I think just technically speaking, he kind of has been a mess. And I think as the reader mentioned in this Pat Meyer system that has really more aggressive pass sets, thoughts and thoughts and never really look comfortable there. Even stuff like, and maybe I was reading into it too much, but in Meyer's system, you know, basically, if the center's sliding to you, the guard's going to go help the tackle, <laughs> excuse me, and the, and the center's going to take the defensive tackle 1v1. And they would do that with James Daniels all the time. They really would not do that with Kevin Dotson. They would just kind of have Dotson sit and, and not help the tackle that much. And so I just don't think schematically with the independent hands, um, with those aggressive sets, I think Dotson never really looked comfortable, just never looked like that was something that was natural to him. Uh, not even the way that James Daniels was uncomfortable to start the year, but got much better and was really comfortable and um, did well uh, the last uh, half of the season. So I just don't think he was he was or is the right scheme fit for Pittsburgh. All right. It'll be interesting. I mean, obviously, with their offseason acquisitions and all like that, it, 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 it certainly seems like the writing's on the wall with him. Yeah, uh, definitely does. Uh, as far as his prediction goes there, I mean, we'll 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 see, David. Uh as we mentioned just a little while ago, you know, two two tackles in the door so far, uh, and and as far as pre-draft visitors go, we'll see if that list builds a little bit here in the final week and a half or whatnot. And you know, the other the other two tackles that you would think that they would like, Paris Johnson and Broderick Jones, I think most seem to figure would will will will, will be off the board at seventeen. Uh, I know you did write and uh, finally get around to write an article that if the Steelers did trade up, it would probably be for one of those two guys, right? But you know uh, whether they will or not, you know, obviously yet to be seen. Yeah, that was really just an extension of the conversation that we had for people that may not listen to the podcast as religiously as as maybe some other people do, as opposed to the ones that read the site. So. Just wanted to kind of get those thoughts out there in text-based form. Um, yeah, I'm not going to guarantee it. And I said, you know, most likely I'm not going to be certain of anything. Could they trade up for Brzee or Joey Porter Jr.? Sure, all that's possible. But I think just makes the most amount of sense to go get that high-priority left tackle in Paris Johnson, Broderick Jones. Those would be the names to target. Um, but again, Johnson's going to probably be a top-10 pick, and Jones may not make it to 17. Uh, as far as his assertion goes that potentially – that they would take one outside of pick 17 and pick 32. I mean, I, I think that's, it, it's plausible, obviously. I, I think I guess the question is, what is the floor to take a tackle? Is it 49? Could you I think say? it's 49. Okay. And I think, and depend, and you know, once again, what, what 
does the pre-draft process end up doing to Daywan Jones, if anything? Sure, sure. And I think, again, logistically, it's a little bit tougher to see how the pieces fit with Jones being really more of a right tackle as opposed to an Anton Harrison who I think kind of has a better fit to compete with Dan Moore at left tackle. Not saying you can't draft a Daywan Jones. You can make it work if the talent's there. You'll figure it out. But I do think logistically it's harder to get that right tackle type started than that left tackle guy. Uh, Adam Gesk writes in, why is everyone so convinced the team is moving towards a mauling run blocking line? The only starter that Con Weidel have added is Sayamalo is listed at 303 pounds, which is very light and has graded better as a pass blocker each of the four, uh, each of the past four years. That being said, we are moving in. If we are moving in that direction, then why then is the assumption we would sooner replace Dan more than a core four. Uh, more is younger, cheaper, improved last year, while a core four stayed stagnant or possibly regressed after 2021. And more to the point, more is the better run blocker. Is it just based on the idea that for whatever reason, people believe they like a core four? Well, I would say a couple things. A, go off of Mike Tomlin's comments during the league meetings, and I forget the exact quote. It's not in front of me, but he said something to the effect that we're not going to be bashful about our intentions. We want to be our team that runs the ball effectively, you know, have a young quarterback, and want to make sure we're not putting too much on his plate. And sure, from the actual signings, I think Samalu A is probably not 303 anymore. I think he's considerably heavier than that. And you see the tape. He's a good pass protector, but I think he can certainly run block and, and maul as well. Um, and also just the guys they've shown interest in. I mean, all the interior offensive linemen from Torrance to Avelia to the tackles in day one Jones and Darnell Wright, there's a certain type and a certain theme there that they've been really looking at. So, yeah, in terms of the guys that have actually been signed, I mean, Herbig is, is a mauler as well. He may be a backup, but um, certainly has that that type as well. I think you can just kind of start putting all those uh, tea leaves together before the entire you know roster gets set post-draft. So that's where I base that off of. From the more core for Standpoint, a fair point overall. I think Moore is the better run blocker, but he paid a core for. He's getting paid a, a good amount of money. He's not going to be on the bench. Exactly, and you know, barring something really, as we mentioned, I think on the live stream the other night, he you've already paid him his uh, you know his roster bonus date is already coming due too. So it would be quite surprising now at this point if a they either cut him or traded him. Yeah. And listen, I mean, you know, if Dan Moore, even if you draft a tackle, you know, Dan Moore becomes a swing tackle, then you got a really quality number three swing tackle, I think, if he can get some snaps and get some comfort or right tackle, because that's that's pretty new to him. So if you had, let's just say, making up names here, Anton Harrison, Chakuma Korfor, and Dan Moore as your top three tackles, it looks a whole lot better than it did, I think, a year ago. Uh, Craig Sampson writes in great offseason coverage. Couple of questions: restructuring contracts, for example. If I work at a specific salary, my income tax is a specific rate. But when but when I got a sign on, signing bonus to come come to work for a company, or when I get a company bonus at the end of the year, it, uh, it is taxed almost half of the uh, of the amount, like forty to fifty percent. So when guys restructure to have their base salary converted to bonus, do they take less home? Because bonuses are taxed at a higher rate. <laughs> Does it see answer this one, Dave? Yeah. Uh uh I'm I'm not a CPA. <laughs> Consult your local uh CPA. Uh look, I would I I don't I don't know the right answer to this question. I'm gonna be uh, upfront and honest, but I know certain states have different laws regarded to you know different, you know. 
what's taxed differently and what's not and and that kind of thing uh I will say this. I mean, what what you uh, what you're doing with these restructures, though, is you're 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 taking money that was already due the player in the year and just moving moving a classification of that. You know, so I don't know if, if merely changing the classification of this was a base salary. You know, we're technically giving it to you as a signing bonus. How that changes things, I, I you know, I'm, I'm not. I, I have a guy that does my taxes. I've had <laughs> people do do my taxes for years. So, uh, if you want to talk uh, cap ramifications, I can talk with you for the next hour and a half on that. But I, I don't know the tax. You know, reach out, Craig. What I would, I would suggest maybe is uh, if you're on Twitter, maybe. Maybe tag uh, Joel Corey in a question. Maybe he can uh, answer that for you better. I I, I don't have a clue uh, within that. Look, yeah, here's the thing: you see players all around the league every offseason restructure their contracts. Uh, so it happens, and the ramifications must not be that serious right. uh, if if it's happening happening at the frequency rate that it that it is happening. Uh, that that's all I can say about that. Yeah, that was the only answer I was going to be able to provide was I can't think there would be that kind of penalty because these things are so common and, and to the point, as you mentioned earlier, sometimes they're basically written into the contracts that if if a player was getting so severely harmed by you know the way that it's taxed on the bonus, players will not be open to restructuring. It wouldn't happen, you know, hardly ever, if at all. And so I can't I gotta think there's a provision, a way that 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 it excludes that from being taxed at a at a heavier rate. So I don't know the answer for that for sure, obviously, but I, I can't think that that would be a serious problem. Now, if you're talking about a, maybe a new contract and then the sign, you know, the, the first year, so maybe, maybe that's treated different, you know? Yeah. And now that's also paid out in over time, typically too. It's not generally one lump sum the player gets it's I, installments. I, yeah. Generally. And I, I think generally you're right there. It's over the 17, 18 week period. I, some teams might uh, because they have to escrow that money and, and all like that. So that that's another thing. But uh, uh, Joel Corey has told me in the past that a lot of teams will put that signing bonus just basically as a as a weekly payment. OK, yeah, I think I've even heard teams that will pay some, you know, at the start of the year, then after the year, you get another kind of check. I mean, I think it was different systems. So right. I think when people when you hear somebody say they get a twelve million dollar signing bonus, largely speaking, you don't get a twelve million dollar you know deposit in your bank account the second you sign that contract. It's broken up over time, usually for cash reasons too, just so you don't have to have to try to fork over twelve billion cash all at once. So that may also play a role in, in how those things are taxed. Also, is it true in the NFL like other sports where you get taxed based on the location you're playing? So road games, you're taxed on based that state income tax and all that kind of stuff. I think there. Are, I have read something on that in the past. I don't have that in front of me. But, I know it's true for like, you know, baseball, basketball, the, the tax, you know, ramifications are it's it's based partially off of the location you're playing. So right. if you're in a road game in Florida versus New York or whatever, you know, you're taxed differently. Yeah, I, I have read something related. I don't remember the specifics on that. Uh, number two, he says if the Steelers had the number one pick this year and couldn't trade, who who would you as a Steelers GM take based on need and talent? Who is that non miss prospect even with Jalen Carter having issues oh man I haven't really some big uh, questions here uh, uh I mean in terms of it go, it would, you would have a, a, a never-ending debate about quarterbacks you know would you stick with Kenny Pickett would you take one of the top tier quarterbacks in this class 
my first thought goes to Will Anderson. And I understand you have Highsmith and, and TJ Watt. I just think Anderson is the best player in this year's draft, like by far. I mean, just the dominance he had in Alabama was just off the charts. So I you you have to figure out how to work all these guys. But I mean, it's a good problem for me to have. So you made me answer that. My, my first thought is a very simple one. Don't overthink it. Take the best player in the draft. And that player is Will Anderson. And if Jalen Carter hadn't have be having the issues that he's having, he he would probably be the the one. Yeah, I, I still feel like I'm a little down on Carter, even not considering some of the off the field stuff. Just, you know, I like Jordan Davis last year, still like Jordan Davis, but are these guys going to be premier pass rushers getting eight sacks a season. Obviously, they're going to impact the game in different ways. I, I still think personally, even just from a talent level, I would take Anderson over Carter. Okay. Interesting decision. Carter and Drew Rosenhaus are at least supposed stance that they're taking with not wanting to visit with teams outside the top 10, right? Yeah, it's some posturing. I'm not sure if it's, I still think he's top 10 pick. I don't know if that's the, the way that I would go about it, but hey, he's Drew Rosenhaus. I uh, should mention, by the way, uh, Dan Moore switched agents. Does that mean anything to you? Dan Moore's now uh, has a different representation. <laughs> he, he better he better up the uh, output. Uh, uh, look, they, they, they can't do anything with him this off season. You know, he, he's got to play one more season before he can, uh, start even thinking about an extension. Right. So I wonder what the reason was or something. Obviously he wasn't happy with. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't know the true reason only, obviously only he can answer that, but it's, it's not related to him getting a contract this off season. I can uh, unequivocally tell you that because rules in the CBA state that, you know, you got to have the three seasons in. Yeah. I wonder if he's just thinking ahead, you know, I want to pick a guy a year out and have a good relationship and feel comfortable before I hire a guy right before I'm trying to get it, maybe a potentially a deal, but of course will extension even happen. I mean, you know, that's a whole nother conversation. Uh, number three says, if you were the Steelers GM, would you have gone quarterback last year or would you have chosen players to build around a future quarterback? So if we drafted a quarterback this year or next, our roster uh, would be set. He says, I would have preferred the latter, build a team around a quarterback, then draft a quarterback, I think he's saying. Uh, I mean... Did you know exactly what this year's quarterback class would be before, you know, a year ago? You know, that that that's the age old pe- people always say, well, next year's class. I mean, you don't you don't really know. I mean, that's uh, I understand why they did why they what they did. I understand why. Why Kenny Pickett? Uh, it's so hard to look back in the rearview mirror now at this point, you know? Yeah, it's all spilled milk to me. Um, you know, I admit I wasn't as high on Kenny Pickett. He was not my number one quarterback, and I was a Malik, Malik Willis fan. And, you know, that's not looking at true and accurate right now, but we'll see how careers go. I always just had the, because I got, we got this question a lot last year, you know, why take a quarterback in, in 2022? The 23 class is going to be so good. I don't like thinking that way because there are so many variables, so much unknown. Will you be in a position to pick one of those guys? Will those quarterbacks pan out the way that we thought? What guys will emerge? No one was talking about Anthony Richardson a year ago, and he's going to be a you know a top five um, type pick. So it's all spilt milk to me. I mean, you know, Pickett's the guy, and that's kind of my focus. You know, I guess the question becomes, who else would you have taken? You know, and we do this exercise after every draft every year of uh, of 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 have, having people, you know, pick from the slot of players in between picks of who they would have taken over, over X guy. I mean, who, who, uh, you know, maybe Tyler Linden, Linden, Linderbaum, 
you know, because mm-hmm. he went 25th to the Ravens and obviously Pickett went went 20th uh, to the Steelers. Uh, who else would have been in in in, in, the, a good question. in, in, in the conversation there? I'm not sure. I'd have to go back. I think last year I was so quarterback focused. I just didn't know what quarterback it was going to be was right. always my my thought. So, yeah, there really weren't. I don't know if any other candidates that were super, you know, in that in that mix last year because we knew they were taking a quarterback. Right. So, I mean, if, I, I would answer the question with another question. Who, who Craig, uh, who, who would you have taken uh, before the Steelers took, you know, the, of the players that went before the Steelers took George Pickens? Uh, who of those players after you know between Pickett and all would you have drafted there? That you know right. that's that, that that's probably uh, a good counter argument to that. One last one from Jason Smith. Hello, Dave and Alex, long time listener and second time emailer. While listening to your discussion on the slot corner position Monday, is it possible for Trey Norwood to play slot over Millet in obvious passing downs? It would alleviate the need for that slot corner type if he were able to. Yeah, it's possible. He was trying to do some of that early in his career. Um, his rookie year, I think he was trying to play some slot, and I think it was a bit too much on his plate, and so he kind of reverted back to playing in dime and had a pretty effective rookie season. Just had a really disappointing 2022. I uh, didn't make that jump. His tackles were were through the roof and you know really was phased out of the defense once uh, Casey got healthy after the bye, and so he's kind of fighting for that roster spot in 2023, let alone trying to carve out a role. So is the skill set there to do that in passing downs? Yeah, I think it's there, but you just saw some regression last year and you're not sure you really can't count on that. So he's in the mix. He's a name to consider. Absolutely. But he's a guy to me that just has to make the team first. All right. I lied. There's one last one here from Greg. Enjoying uh, regular conversations about the Steelers. Thank you, guys. I keep hearing a throwaway line. Well, we really don't know what we have in Calvin Austin. Can one of you tell me what this really means? And he goes on to say, you don't know what you have in any draft picks until they get on the field, but they don't draft the same position in the fourth round that they drafted in the second round because they don't know what they have in their second round pick. Do you have any reason to believe CA uh, Calvin Austin is not the same guy they drafted last year? Uh, He says, P.S. Alex, there is no Z in Clemson. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's, I, I'm not going to correct that. I, I, I do that as well, I think, too. So he says, uh, all the best to you and your team. Look, here, you know, here's just a just what I'm trying to say about Calvin Austin is basically I, 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 me, that's been primarily with the, you don't really know what you have in Calvin Austin is because, I mean, you got a kid too that's coming off a foot injury. You know, a, a, a speed guy. Yeah. A, a speed guy come and, we don't, what I mean by that is we don't know what this team has in Calvin Austin in a Pittsburgh Steelers uniform. All we have, and, and not, and there might be nothing that's changed. Okay. Uh, maybe our same thoughts of what we thought Calvin Austin was coming out of college will, will, will rubber stamp that right in, in, into next year. But, you know, Alex just got to see him a little bit in training camp. I didn't get to see him in the Steelers uniform at all. And then now there's a whole foot injury on a speed guy. And then plus he's a little bit undersized too. It was a little bit peculiar based on what the Steelers have done over the years when it comes to the actual size of Calvin Austin. I think his point though is 
everyone says you got to draft a receiver because you don't know what you have in Calvin Austin. But I, 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 I don't say they have to draft one. I, I have said I would like them to okay. get a bigger uh, some someone that they can interchange with because I do struggle with the fact and look, they're going to move guys around and all like that. But I do struggle with the fact of seeing Calvin Austin playing a lot of run snaps in the slot. Well, I, I think in, in, in 11, what I was getting at was people are saying to draft a receiver, or they should draft a receiver or strongly consider it because you don't know what you have in Austin. But the reader's point is you obviously don't know what you have in the rookie sure. either because he won't have hit the field either. So point taken there. I, I make a reference. It's to all that. it's all projection. Yeah, I, I make a reference to that. In my terrible take today, but I'll, I'll answer that and, and kind of counter that by saying you want to have options. You don't want to put all your eggs in the Calvin Austin basket because he is, you know, he's one year in the NFL off the foot injury for a speed guy. You know, you don't, if he is not the guy and you got to turn to someone else, who do you turn to? You really don't have that name right now. So the more options you have, the more competition you have, the more flexibility that you have, even if Austin's a good player and he breaks his arm in the summer, whatever, whatever happens, you need to have a plan B there and give yourself some flexibility. And if the worst case is Austin's a good player, and the guy you draft is a good player, you can make that work. Let, let's all celebrate having uh, good draft picks and, and, and good players and too much talent on this offense. So uh, you want to just give yourself a, a backup plan and another option there on top of Austin would be the reason why you would still go get a receiver. And, and look look at how the depth chart has changed since Austin was drafted. And and look, look, look where they sit now. You know, how many people honestly thought that when Calvin Austin III was drafted, that that this time this year that that Chase Claypool still wouldn't be on the roster for starters, yeah, right? Figured okay. he would be here. And then second, uh, uh, this offseason so far, uh, Stephen Sims is gone. You don't know what's going to happen with Miles Boykin, who was on the roster last year. Uh, what the hell is going to happen with uh, uh, Gunnar Olszewski? You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else is, what else is on the roster here? And, and let's say even Calvin Austin is that can, can be exactly what, what, whatever people had in their heads of, of what they thought he could be in a Steelers uniform that comes to fruition. Then, then what do you have behind him? And, and even if you bring back miles Boykin, who primarily his, his best attribute is, uh, he's available and he can play special teams. But what what even has Miles Boykin done in the NFL outside of give you some good special teams play? He had some success early in Baltimore on offense, but really has become a pure special teamer his last year or two with the Ravens. And then this year in Pittsburgh, he caught what one pass, I think, when Pittsburgh this year or two. Um, so, yeah, he's really not and he's not a slot guy either. So, you know, he's he's a, you know, a special teams guy at this point in his career. I mean, if you if you honestly can sit here and tell me that you're happy with Gunnar Olszewski uh, and potentially Miles Boykin to round out the depth chart behind Calvin Austin, then okay, don't drop the wide receiver. But I I think that they can upgrade that room, uh, and especially with, with a player that can be versatile. Yeah, I know Anthony Miller's there too, but he's not been productive in a couple of years. Missed all last year with a shoulder injury, so he's back. But you know, he's going to just compete for that spot. So the more depth you have, more options you have, uh, the better off you'll be. I don't think they have to draft one. I would like to see them draft one and one that can that can play in the slot that's a little bit bigger. 
Yeah, I still, and not to belabor the point, but are they going to go with a big slot? They're going to go. I think Jade Reed's a perfect fit because he's got a bit of size, but he's not a huge guy. They can still work in the receiver run game and all that motion. Um, and he's really versatile and a good blocker and a good effort guy. I think Jade Reed is the perfect type of sure. receiver Pittsburgh can have in the slot. Sure. So I, we'll I, I have no argument. I'm just saying that I can see it being a big slot guy. Yeah, I think I have a harder time seeing it than than where you're at right now. Okay. But, we'll uh, but, you know, and once again, this is no slight against I'm not slighting Calvin Austin. I mean, his 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 college tape once again, uh, especially after the catch. And, you know, he can give you that deep thread. He can move around in the offense. I mean, hopefully he is he he, he is exactly that guy coming out. Yeah, I think the Raiders' point was just about, you know, the rookie being as as unproven as Calvin Austin would be sure. kind of the, the funny part of, of saying that. Sure, you never know what you have in any of these guys until they hit the field. Right, that's why the draft is, you know, art, not science. Uh, okay, I think we've got everything here, and we even hit on some topics we didn't know that we are going to hit on there in <laughs> the pre-production meeting. So, uh We'll and and real quick, there's just Go on ahead. yeah, Friday. I mentioned the Friday podcast will be a, the part one of the draft round table. Hopefully have uh, one or two of those before the draft. Let me pull up the names that will be on Friday's show. Barring any sort of change, it'll be uh, Joe Camaroto, Ross McCorkle, Owen Straley and Tyler Wise will be on right. Friday's show with Dave and myself. We'll definitely be talking about some wide receivers and some defensive backs with those guys, won't we? Definitely. All right. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Steeders Depot. You can follow Alex uh, on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Uh, email the show, the Terrible Podcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do, want to donate to the cause, SteedersDepot.com. Hit the donate button upright navigational bar. Also, if you like an ad free version of the site, SteedersDepot.com. Hit the ad free button upright navigational bar. Follow the directions that way. Still got a lot of uh, uh, draft profiles coming in. And, you know, we, we generally try to post, I don't know, anywhere between 25 and 35 posts a day uh, to help keep people entertained. I am getting about tired of mock draft season, though. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to be sad to see that come uh, uh, come to an end, but it is interesting to see some of the, you know, the, the major media uh, angles at this and all as well. So until Friday, as always, thanks for listening to the terrible podcast with Dave and Alex. It's Ram season, which means it's time to serve with Ram 1500, Ram 3500, and Ram TRX. Hurry in now for great deals on the trucks that are built to serve. Right now during Ram season, get 10% below MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Ram 1500 Laramie. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. Contact dealer for details. Take retail delivery by 531-23.